It's 2022, which means it's a renewal year and you need CEUs. 30 if you're in South Carolina, and three of those have to be on ethics, jurisprudence, and whatever else goes in that category. Look, the year's going by fast, and you can knock out all those requirements with a MedBridge subscription, and you can get 40% off with the discount code BETTERFASTERPOD. I have a friend named Shelly, and she's a little lazy. Her words, not mine. She hasn't done any Con Ed over the past year and a half until she got her subscription set up. And what she does is she just puts modules on her phone while she watches 90 Day Fiance. Great show, by the way. Is she learning anything? No. But is she getting the local governing bodies off her bat? Yes. Your subscription also includes NSCA credits, OCS certification prep courses, patient education, home exercise programs, EMR integration. There's tons and tons of resources. Again, use the discount code BETTERFASTERPOD to get 40% off your individual subscription. That's the best price that MedBridge offers, okay? Only the best for our listeners. Now enjoy the episode. Happy Monday, everybody. Welcome to a special episode of the Better Faster Podcast. Today, we're coming to you once again from the University of South Carolina. This is Dr. Floyd's business management class. So Jim Moonlights has a professor when he's not practicing in the clinic. And I know I'm really excited for this one because I like getting students' perspectives on the topics that we're going to discuss. And I also think it's cool just to get a pulse on where the profession's heading. So with that said, we have our first panel of students up here. So looking forward to getting started with this. And what I thought we'd do is take a 30,000-foot view and talk a little bit about where the profession is heading. So you are second and third years, and by now you all have gotten exposed to big concepts, things like direct access. You had a cash PT come in and talk about cash versus in-network clinics, this new CMS ruling that came through, and the 8% cut that goes along with that. So just synthesizing all that information, would you mind talking a little bit about where you feel the profession is heading and how you see yourself fitting into all that? And be sure to introduce yourself, say your name, and where you're from. Hey, I'm Michaela Scott. Most people know me as Mac. I'm from South Carolina. Um, I think for me, where I see the profession heading. Hey, I'm Michaela Scott. Most people call me Mac. Um, I'm from South Carolina. I think where I see the profession heading, um, I'll just start off with um, the big thing that just happened, um, the vote on the new CMS ruling. Um, for reimbursement for PT. I think um, as a student, that's someone that's going to be entering in the field into 2021, that kind of took a big hit on me. Um, but I have to believe that it's going to continue to get better um, and that we have to continue to keep striving um, forward and advocating our, for our profession. I think that that's something that other professions may do a little bit better job at than we do. Um, but I think when you hear something like that, it's easy to point um, fingers at the front lines, the people that are on the APTA that are always, um, ad- that are the ones that's their job is to advocate for our profession. But then I think about that, well, what am I doing? Um, even though I'm a student, um, I feel like we can help with the advocacy as well. Um, and so I think it starts with us and then moves, goes up from there. And so I think that's something that our profession can do a lot better job at. Um, I think if we're going to complain about the problem, we need to be a part of the solution. And so I think that advocacy is something big for that that can help um, push our profession forward. So hi there, I'm Owen Williams from Western North Carolina. And where I think the profession is heading, I think it's a pretty bright future actually with direct access and we get the, the skills and the education. I think we can be the primary care provider for anybody with a pain or musculoskeletal issue. and I also see the cash and hybrid clinic models increasing. It just seems like those kind of are able to provide better quality of care. 
Um, in terms of what, it, as a profession, we, we are doing, I think we're moving more towards an exercise and education. Those are our two main tools. Those have the most research to back that up. And manual therapy is more of our adjunct, maybe calm a fire if nothing else works. And kind of along that point, uh, the, the clinic models, the one-to-one -one care, I think that's going to continue to increase again because you see better outcomes when you can fully focus on one patient as opposed to having juggle two, three, four. You're just not giving the best care that way. Uh, kind of a broader scope too. I see us as kind of a point guard for the patient. We're, we're a facilitator. So maybe because we have so much time, we get to talking to the nutrition and, oh, hey, I know such and such dietitian. They're good. Or you identify some sort of mental health issue, connect them to a mental health professional. Or if your clinic doesn't have more full fitness equipment, maybe you have a connection with a good general fitness, good personal trainer, something that we can then connect them after we've got them bought in and involved with the, uh, with exercise and more of an active lifestyle. And again, technology is just moving at a rapid pace. I think telehealth is another really big field that PTs are going to be in a part of. Yeah, I love all those thoughts, Owen. Um, I think that that hey, I love that you're you're very optimistic on some of this, and I hate to be the Debbie Downer, but I'm gonna play a little bit of devil's advocate here, and want to get your opinion on, you know, with some of these cuts and reimbursement, do you think that we might actually see some of the opposite happen, where maybe these bigger hospital clinics are gonna buy up the smaller clinics because they can afford to operate on that smaller margin, and then is the one-to-one -one clinic actually gonna have a harder time? I think the uh, outcomes will speak for themselves, but the uh, we the smaller clinics have to do a better job of conveying that they're giving those better outcomes. Otherwise, because the average consumer is not going to know that. So, if, but if you're able to convey that, hey, we're doing better than them, I think the you'll get enough business that you'll be able to maintain the uh, profits. Dude, I think that's a perfect a perfect answer, and that's kind of what we talked about a little bit before class started, where. You know, why do we do this podcast? What's a big thing? And it's providing information to the consumer to show that, hey, we, you know, as a clinic are different. And right, I think we're going to have to do a really good job of, of creating positive outcomes and making sure that the public is aware that, you know, these other options are available. No, I definitely liked both of those opposing views. And I think it's easy to sit around and complain because we all know misery loves company, but there's a lot of solutions out there. We obviously are going to have to get creative. It's really raw. It's really fresh right now. It just happened three days ago, but I'm definitely optimistic. And personally, I'm not worried about our business. So I don't think you guys and girls should necessarily be either, but that's just my opinion. So moving on to the, the next question. And this, this might, what we just talked about might actually change your opinion somewhat on, I want to talk about residency. So it seems from my perspective that the last five, seven years, especially, some PT schools, some more than others, the, the idea of doing a residency is kind of getting drilled into your heads. You've got to do a residency to be a better clinician. You know, even though you're going to potentially take a little bit of a pay cut, it's going to pay off in the future and so on and so forth. So, Tavi, what I thought we'd do is get your opinion on that and just take it from there. Hi, guys. My name is Tavi. I'm from Spartanburg, South Carolina, and I went to I know this is going to get edited out, but the best university in the world, Clemson University, and now I'm here. Yep, it's going to get edited out. Okay, so uh, my thoughts on residency, I think it's what you think it is. If you think you're going to get a lot out of it, then great. If you go and do a residency, then you're going to gain a lot of opportunities, and you're going to get a lot of knowledge, and you're going to be able to network across the 
the profession through your residency, but if you think you're good enough without it and that your clinicals have adequately prepared you for your profession, then just don't do the residency if you don't think that it's worth the commitment and investment. So I think you just get out what you put into a residency, in my opinion. So that, that's, I like that response. That's perfect. You know, I, I definitely think that it, that's anything in life, any, any job, anything you do in the, in the academic field, you're going to get back what you put into it. But devil's advocate with that said, considering that we're probably going to see some pay cut somewhere across the U.S. It's just going to happen, right? Because Medicare is just such a, such a big payer across the board. Do you think that if you're considering a residency that maybe you should pump the brakes on that idea and just kind of wait and see what happens or just go ahead and go for it because you feel like that's your path to become a better clinician? I think for this, the amount of residencies available have increased a lot since 10 years ago. So if you, there are some residencies more suited for new grads, whereas there are more residencies suited for people who have been practicing for a while. So if you want to go ahead and pay off some student loans and then start thinking about a residency, that's totally an option because some of these residencies are more geared towards people who have been working for a while. But if you feel like you want to kind of jumpstart your career, like I've heard residencies can jumpstart your career like five years ahead of where you will be as an as a new grad, then you should take that pay cut if you think that it's necessary. So my biggest question is how would you, if you don't decide to do a residency, your new grad coming into your first clinic, then how would you, how would you make sure that you get adequate mentorship? I think the answer to that is just like anything else where you're, we got legalities involved is get it in writing. I've been practicing for, I think nine years now. Sound like, sound like an old man. I feel like an old man sometimes, but um, I've seen it go both ways. I've seen people go through a residency and they're basically just a glorified PT student. They become cheap labor. I've also seen where people were able to go through residency and actually get protected time on the schedule with their mentors and get good mentorship. So I think that's just going to be clinic dependent, but it's going to be up to you to do due diligence, make sure you negotiate that appropriately, make sure you talk to people that have been doing it. I mean, if you find someone who is doing or has done what you want to do, has success, some form or fashion, you got to copy what they did. Yeah, I think um, this is something to address in an interview setting too. When you're interviewing for a position, you, you know, they're not just interviewing you, you're interviewing them, right? And you have to have the right questions to, to ask them. And some of it can be, well, you know, what is your, your policy or process or procedure for um, integrating new grads into your clinic to ensure that they're continuing to progress and they're adapting and able to grow into becoming a, a great clinician. And, and they should hopefully have some kind of plan in place. So I know for, for, for the Vertex Clinic, um, you know, we have uh, a time that will be blocked out, you know, your first month and your second month, and it kind of tails off over time in which, uh, yeah, in which you, you know, even if you're not a resident, you are getting some mentorship time, some coach reading time with uh, some of the seasoned clinicians on, you know, blocked off on the schedule, um, even if you're not in the residency. And then, of course, you know, we are host site for a residency as well. And that's a little bit different where there's even more of that time allocated there and you have a set number of hours and that kind of stuff. So um, a big part of it is just asking the right questions of the employer and making sure that they can they can articulate that to you. Um, if you're just going to get thrown to the wolves and see two, three, four patients uh, at a time, you know, there might not be that opportunity to collaborate with the other uh, therapists in your clinic and to ask the right questions and to, to really feel like you're getting that mentorship. So um, 
I would just really be a, you know, again, we talk about being a savvy consumer from our patients. We want them to know what we do. It's like, you just got to ask the right questions and really, you know, you know, don't go into anything without really being sure of what it is and what it entails. Awesome. So we just got a question. The question was, if you do a residency, does that make you more marketable? And my opinion is no, or it depends. Okay. If you do a residency, you essentially get those letters behind your name a year early. Same thing you could do if you practice two years and study for the exam and take the test, which is what I did. But patients barely know what a physical therapist is. It's just, it's just a fact, right? And so if, if you do have the OCS, GCS, whatever it might be, it's probably not going to make a difference. The other thing too is having your board certification come out of a residency, whatever it might be, you get reimbursed. You get paid the exact same as someone who did not go through residency, even as a PTA currently as well, depending on what setting you're in. So um, I, I think though that if you go into it just for the intent to better yourself, and that's a way that you can convey that to an employer, maybe. You know, that's kind of thing where it depends comes in. But I know personally when we're looking to hire people, we, we do want good clinicians, but I'm looking for good human beings first and then clinician second. Yeah, I think if there's a very specific outcome that you're looking for, it can be beneficial. So I, I, when I'm saying that, I'm thinking if your goal is to work in professional baseball, doing a sports residency with people who focus on upper extremity issues is going to set you apart because there's a very limited number of those positions in, you know, in that field. Um, I know we have uh, worked. Yeah. Yeah. So we have people who are looking to, you know, maybe go their civilian training. They want to go into the military and they want to be look a little bit more marketable in that, that regard. So having a, you know, a board certification might be able to do that. So if there's a specific end goal or outcome, yes, there might be justified if you know what that's going to be. Um, but in your standard outpatient clinic, again, you got to think a lot of things you're going to learn from Jim as we go through this is, you know, looking at how much the person's bringing in and how much they cost as an employee. And as you're going through and you're running these numbers, reimbursement's not going to change from what that clinician brings in, unfortunately. So when you're talking about from a business perspective, it's not, it's not like you're going to get a big raise because you have a, a certain, uh, certain letters behind your name. So hello, first, I'm Megan Santanello. I'm a second year student at USC. And so my question for you guys is, you started to ask us what we think adjustments will be uh, needed to be made post the ruling. So what adjustments do you think you'll make from your end within your clinic, if any, based on that? Uh, I got some ideas, um, but that's proprietary information right now. <laughs> <laughs> but no, we're, we're going to, I mean, you have to just look at the numbers. Uh, I think that you have to figure out, first off, I'm going to say this, though, just at our clinic, we already knew this was coming. We already discussed it, so we weren't shocked. And as far as we're concerned, our staff, our patients, they're not going to necessarily feel the impact. All right, we, you know, still, we know, it, we know it's coming. We know it's going to hurt. But, you know, we got some ideas for how we can get creative, possibly add a few cash services and things like that. Um, either way, it's going to be fine. But um, I, was on, I was looking at some of the comments and stuff on the internet last night, like Twitter and Facebook and stuff, and there was someone that commented that their clinic operates at a 4% profit margin and relies mostly on Medicare. So you do the math on that, 8% cut, that's, that's not good. That's, that's layoffs. That's um, uh, maybe the clinic 
shutting down, that kind of thing too. So uh, it's just, again, it's very fresh right now. And I don't think that now's the time to just make a sudden knee-jerk reaction. Just kind of wait and see how it goes and, and make some decisions looking at it from the, the, whole, the whole view. So I have a question continuing off of the Medicare cut. Do you think in the future this is going to affect new students like me with our um, salary? I, I think I think it will depend on where you work because you know we're we're looking at a, a big chunk of a lot of employers' gross and net revenue coming down eight percent, and you know it's got to come from somewhere. I would think that employee salaries be the last thing that you want to cut, but. I mean, what, what we see just a month ago with PDPM, when that went through, we saw like 10,000 jobs get cut overnight, 10,000 physical therapist jobs across the U.S. Um, not, this is not near as bad as that, but I do think that it could potentially affect that. And it could, in some cases, it might be a talking point for an employer that you're interviewing with. So you might need to be a little bit more armed and prepared to talk about why you're worth the salary that you want to get in spite of the 8% cut. Yeah, I think as uh, you know, employers are going to also have to find ways to be creative in terms of providing value that's maybe not a direct salary compensation. So you'll see some more unique salary mo uh, compensation models where you might see something where you have a smaller base salary and then you get a per diem for work that you do kind of thing to where if you hustle, you can make a lot of money. But if you kind of are just you know, chilling and rolling through, you know, it might limit your compensation a little bit. So you might see some like creative compensation models or things like that to try to com combat it. That's another reason why it's good to have some kind of niche, right? If you have some kind of sports background, you're good with technology, something like that, you're going to want to play that up big time on mm -hmm. day one or during the interview and use that to your advantage because that's something that could set you apart from everybody else that's applying and possibly boost your salary. All right. So, you know, we've talked a little bit about, you know, how we see the profession and where it's moving and all these different things that are, uh, you know, happening around us. But I kind of want to pose this next question. And Mac, I'll ask you this question. Um, how has your perception of physical therapy and, and being a physical therapist changed since you started school? Um, that's a good question. I think I, ex I experienced PT, um, which is what influenced my decision to become one. Um, and so, but I think even, I, so I already knew the value of it. Um, but I think since being in PT school, um, I've become more aware of the value um, that PTs have. And I think um, that I've realized how much more of an alternative we are for pain management and just improving individuals overall quality of life. Um, as far as um, my view, I came into PT school thinking I wanted to be a pediatric physical therapist. Um, and so now I'm kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum. I, um, I've really found that I enjoy working with geriatrics and older individuals. I like working with all populations, actually. I can't really narrow it down to that one. But um, I think that is a population that's very underdosed. Um, and I think that uh, we really need to um, maybe not, not necessarily recreate the will, but Kind of bridge out from just doing therapies with those individuals those individuals need to be able to squat and they need to be able to lift and get up off the toilet as they age and so i don't know that's kind of how my perceptions change as i've gone through i don't know if i answered your question but no, that was good no so what was the turning point that switched you from peds to the geriatric population um i'll get real sentimental on you um i've always been really close to my grandparents and so just seeing them as they've aged and then now having this extra pt perspective and then i found that most of the patients that i just really um 
I mean, I want to help all my patients, but the ones that I just really value, like just my interaction with them and the ones that stuck with me once I went home every day uh, were the older population. And, um, and so that's kind of where I was at. That's, that was my turning point, really. Yeah, no, and, and Matt, I'm going to ask you another follow-up while, while you're up here. Um, you, you mentioned that you see, you know, this certain population, there are things about the way PT is being done with that population as a whole that you think we can do a little better, things mm -hmm. like, you know, getting away from the TheraBand, underdosing patients, that kind of stuff. So um, I want to kind of ask this from more about the curriculum of school and what PT school sets you up for. To, you know, what do you think PT school is, is setting you up to be able to do those things? Do you feel like there are areas where we can improve? You know, give me, give me some thoughts on kind of what PT school is doing well and what maybe we uh, might need to change. Um, I think... Um... I think it depends. Um, I think that when I first got out of my first clinical, um, I had the basic knowledge of like the therabands and okay, if this person comes in, but I wasn't great at being able to, and this is me personally, this may not apply um, to my peers, but being able to, okay, if this is too easy for someone, how do I make it harder? And then if this is too hard for someone, how do I break it down? Um, and so I feel like we do need to like push the envelope a little bit with that and kind of steer away from the basic, okay, we're going to, you know, do TheraBand to improve this, this, and this, or, you know, and then move on to more functional activities. Think not that TheraBand and that can't help. I'm stuck on TheraBand, I guess, but like, you know, <laughs> like I think that, um, I think that we can do a little bit better job. And I think that it's going in that direction. I think our program I know has made steps to do that. And so I think that it is going in that direction. Yeah. And do you feel like you, really obtained a lot of that knowledge on your actual rotation and do you feel like that's where it needs to be taught or do you think that you know a lot of the curriculum in you know in your classes needs to also try to address that as well shameless plug my first clinical was at vertex um so i got to i got to work with um brandon and jim and um and so that is where i learned a lot about um about exercise um prescription and kind of getting away from that, that we are taught in our curriculum at school. So honestly, I think that you do, um, and I think that most of my peers will agree, you learn more on your clinical. Your curriculum helps you get there, but your clinical is where you really develop your skills. Yeah, I think I've said that on here a few times. The school's, the job of school is to help you pass your boards, right? And your board exam is not necessarily representative of what's going to make you a great PT. Unfortunately, you know, it's more, uh, there's, there's a lot of other things that go into that. So um, I think that you're right. The clinical has to play a big role. And I got to give a shout out to um, Reed Handlery, um, who, you know, we all, we talked about Reed on here before, and he's now kind of taken over some of the, the exercise and Therax curriculum at USC, and they're doing some cool things. They're actually coming to the clinic tomorrow, and I'm teaching them how to use a barbell and, and some different things, so it's going to be a, a lot of fun with that, so I do think, yeah, the schools are definitely starting to go that direction. Yeah, and just going back to perception versus reality, I mean, how many people, how many of you came into PT school thinking that this is your three and a half years, you're going to be ready to roll, anything that comes to the door, good. I know myself included, right, there's like three people that raise their hands, but it does, it, it does raise the point, though, that it's, it's up to y'all, it's up to y'all to take ownership of your education process outside of school. I mean, this, and it's not the fault of this program, this program is great, I mean, it does, you know, we have like a 99 point something percent pass rate on the licensure exam but the, the professors are also really good about being diverse and giving you a lot of diversity in your education and, and exposing you to these different things so you can be very well read and then decide for yourself how you want to be specifically read whenever you graduate and start practicing yeah and that poses an interesting question um, Brandon um, about you know information 
and acquiring information outside of school and trying to better yourself in areas that you recognize you might want to learn more in. And so I kind of want to pose that question to either Mac or any of our panel that wants to come up and, uh, and, and chat about, you know, while in school, is it pretty much, man, I am trying to keep my head above water. I'm not really looking anywhere else. Or are there other sources that you're trying to get some of this information to learn about the things that you really want to learn about? So regarding where we get info outside of the class, for me, I'm a big Instagram guy. I follow probably five, six guys, Barbell Physio, Physio Network, Strength Coach Therapist, the Strength Therapist, a bunch of Dr. Nick, Dr. Joel Seedman, and some also some strength and conditioning guys on Instagram, Barbell Medicine, Barbell Logic, Untamed Strength. They're always pretty funny. But um, those guys, they always post good content or they'll post a study. And, I mean, that's your – I probably waste too much time on it anyways. But you see there, oh, you learn something new. Or they'll do a nice little exercise progression that I hadn't seen before and just put that in the memory bank. Uh, I'm also a big podcast guy. And so P -P PT Podcast, uh, shameless plug to the Better Faster Podcast. They definitely – I love everything they're doing. And then – Outside of PT stuff, I got a couple of political podcasts to listen to and then a couple of more cultural podcasts as well with uh, The Order of Man and Art of Manliness. Really good listening there. Then also uh, books. I, um, I felt very underprepared for personally for my Therex. So I actually got the CSCS textbook, read that, took the exam, and then also Starting Strength with their uh, practical programming. They had a really a lot of actionable material there as well. And so, yeah, that's kind of how I did. And then... Also for articles, you got good old PubMed, and but also Twitter and Instagram also have a lot of a lot of good articles too. That was a good list, Owen. And <laughs> it's good. It's good you got a variety of that too. I know I, I love all the stuff that's on Instagram as well too. But one thing to caution with that is, you know, Instagram's Instagram's great. They got it dialed in how to give you a dopamine hit every time you give notifications by that it's like the, the crack the crackhead's got to get the itch right but the the thing the scratch sorry but uh the thing is um about instagram you gotta be careful with is a lot of times there's uh there, there's no context right so i think we we all aware that we live in a society where a lot of times we base our value off the number of likes and followers we get on social media unfortunately so just a, just a word of caution against that too so it's definitely good that you got your your list of journals and podcasts and textbooks to go with that too so you can be well-rounded in that regard okay hi i'm lexi i am a second year pt student at usc and um, my list is not nearly as exhaustive or as interesting as owen's list was <laughs> um, but i found a few resources have been really helpful in just looking up some stuff like that i was really interested in um, i recently started like running and doing like a, um, more training for triathlons and so that has kind of brought me to some like different um, interests in my everyday life and I've been even in PTs get hurt sometimes too and so I think it's been um, really fun to be able to be able to have access to PubMed and all of those um, scholarly journal articles like PTJ and even stuff in the APTA has been really helpful in looking up um, things specifically that are like my interests that I know are research and evidence-based and um, have research backing them. Um, also something that I just learned um, over my clinical, my CI was able to give me some good recommendations for lists of just books to read that were interesting and PT related. I never actually looked any of those up because I don't have time because I'm in PT school, but <laughs> they would be good resources if I actually like 
went and did that. And then another thing that I think was a really, really great idea that um, USC DPT did for us was get us a MedBridge account, which has been super, super helpful in looking up um, new examination techniques or looking up. So I'm just like really interested in the hip and the knee. And so I'll look up you know, videos on MedBridge about the hip and the knee or the the foot and the ankle things that I just like have a specific interest in. And um, those are really informative, like instructional videos that are uh, an access reference that we have that I don't think a lot of other schools have subscriptions to. So that's been something really great that um, the USC program has been able to offer us. So those are how I find things outside of school. Uh, I love that. And definitely good to, to pair what you seek out to your interests as well, too, because you're going to remember it more, right? We know learning is, a, is an emotional experience and we remember things more when we actually care about it. But another point I want to bring up, too, is, is I think sometimes as, as physical therapists, sometimes we can't see the forest for the trees. And uh, it's always good to seek information from experts outside of the physical therapy field. I know for me, one of my big things that I really enjoy doing is concussion management. Um, I don't see as much of it as I'd like to, but the the best training I got from that was actually from the audiology world. Uh, I think, in my opinion, I think they're actually the, the bigger experts as far as that goes, as far as assessment. And then strength coaches, right? There's so much good stuff out there about exercise and, ex you know, the, the exercise science principles that sometimes we tend to forget once we get our DPT degree. So it's definitely good to to keep up with those things as well, too. All right. So, Tavi. <laughs> Tavi, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to ask you this question um, since we got, we were fortunate enough to have you at, at Vertex for rotation. Um, how have you been able to balance school and work and life and, and everything that you have going on? Because, you know, we talk about PT school is tough, man. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of long hours, a lot of studying. You know, how have you been able to make it work? Uh, so if you've ever seen a person try to play swing on a seesaw by themselves, mm -hmm. that's me. <laughs> yeah. uh, you put too much in one thing and you neglect the others, you kind of have to go back and make sure that you're hitting all the other stuff too. So that's kind of where I am. I am absolutely terrible at balance. And for everyone, the two percenters out there like me that are terrible with this stuff that somehow made it into PT school, it's going to be okay. Just want you guys to know that. But in terms of when I first came and started school, it was a huge learning curve and trying to relearn study habits and trying to make sure that I'm taking the time out to make sure that I'm okay as well because school's not fun if you're just going to be killing yourself over it. And by the time you graduate, you're going to put yourself through so much that you don't even want to work anymore. Like you just want to take a break and you're going to hit that burnout a lot more quickly. So this year, I'm a second year, I've done a lot better at balance. Um, it's just been making sure that each day when I wake up, all right, what's most important for me to make sure that I do today? And then just starting from there. Uh, I think someone brought up the, it's the four squares method of like, what's most important and most pertinent to do. And then what's most important, but not as time and time sensitive, time sensitive. It's, I forgot what book it's called. It's like the mm -hmm. habits of highly effective people or something mm -hmm. like that. So someone mentioned that, and that was like a really cool thing to learn how to balance um, work life and personal life, and then just trying to make sure you pass in school. Because as Josh said, it is school is just learning about how to pass the exam. You actually learn how to be PT during your clinicals. So I have been blessed to, you know, do my clinical at Vertex. Had the best CI, Amy. Shout out to her. 
<laughs> yes, Amy is uh, Amy is definitely uh, an incredible PT, and so I'm I'm jealous you got to work with Amy. I'm excited to get to work by uh, work beside Amy every day. Um, but yeah, I know I would be lying if I said I had it all figured out, trying to balance everything in PT school. And I think um, you know I like that you have kind of a strategy to help determine you know what is most important to you and make sure you're taking care of yourself first, and and then balancing everything else after that. So I like that method, and uh, um, you know hopefully you know, other people who are struggling with it can find you know some utilization of that or a method that, that works for them. So I'm gonna uh, drop a couple quotes on you. These first two are from Jocko Willink. Own everything and excuses are lies. So by own everything, it means that you take responsibility for anything that happens to you. Even if it, you may not perceive it to be your fault, you still own it. That way you can change it. And then just look at any excuses. It's a lie. Oh, I'm not able to get this extra hour of studying. I'm too tired. Lie, et cetera, et cetera. And then um, from one of my football coaches, Coach Miller, my defensive coordinator, he had a good quote. He said, replace, I don't have time with, I won't make time. And anytime that again, goes back to not making excuses. If you, if you think about that, for me, that keeps me going, but some more actionable stuff. I like to write down a plan of attack for my day. So not, it's not by the hour, but just write, okay, this needs to get studied. This needs to get studied. This needs to get studied. And then for me, I'm much more of a, work out in the morning and then study the rest of the day. So you got to figure out when your most productive studying hours are and you got to use that time. Got to put the phone down. Um, for me personally, as far as uh, mental health staying, staying good, I can't compromise working out in competition. So I'm going to lift three, four days a week. Going to do my intramurals, going to do the boxing club. I'm not going to compromise that. So I'll, if that means I got to give up going out a day or give up alcohol for a little bit, not watch TV, then, I mean, you do those because it's, it's you're out, what, what helps you. And then also you got to figure out what studying method works for you. For me, last year, I, um, I was really inefficient kind of the first half of the first semester. Then I switched things around to more of an active recall approach, and that really helped me. So it's just kind of figuring out what works for you and when it works for you and just have a, have a general plan that's flexible enough that if something comes up, you can adapt, but you still have some direction for your day. Yeah. I'll, also, um, I'm single right now, so I, I don't have any uh, any responsibilities there. <laughs> and, and, and where can the ladies hit you up? They work at all And Owen, what's, what's that Instagram handle? <laughs> uh, don't need to worry about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Apparently, we're we're changing into more of a matchmaking podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. No, that's. Uh... <laughs> Oh, and you came prepared, man. That was good. So that Jocko quote, does that mean you're getting up at 4.30 every morning? Yeah, you're taking a picture of your watch? No, I stopped following him because of that. I stopped caring. <laughs> I'm more of a 5.30 guy. Yeah, yeah. Hi, my name is Lynn. I'm also a second-year student. Um, I, no offense to Owen, um, I am a mom who's coming back for my second career. So when I say I am tired, it's not a lie. I actually am tired. Um, I also have a lot more going on outside of school. So I feel like balance is a little bit harder for me than for some people. Um, like also no offense on the single thing. Um, <laughs> but for me, like first year, just like Tavi, I mean, it was so hard to keep balance. I felt like most of the time I was either not studying enough or I was studying too much and leaving my family behind or um, my husband will tell you I still will 
not have balance figured out. Um, but this semester, I guess I've got a lot better about it. Um, and I think some of that is that I've just spent less time studying. I've kind of figured out that, you know, a 90 is just as good as like a 98 or a 99. And I could study like maybe a 10th of the time. Um, and so for that, like, not that studying is not important, but I've been able to kind of back off and study differently and not study as much um, and still be doing really well. And I'm still here, so that's always a plus. Um, so I don't know if that's like a good balance or a bad balance, but that's kind of where I'm at. Shout out, shout out to Lynn for being a mom and going through PT school. I got yeah. <laughs> I got two kids and I can barely get my coffee order right when I go to Starbucks in the morning. Um, yeah, that's all I got. No, I know. I think uh, I love that. You know, the, you know, the, you know, CZ at degrees philosophy is out there. Actually I had, I went, I was trying out new positions in the area when I moved down here, I was trying to find a GP and we went to South Carolina for med school. I can tell you who he is. And yeah, I just started PT school. He was asking about, you know, I was like, man, you know, it's tough. All that kind of things. It's like, just remember, man, you can get D's and graduate. I did. And I'm thinking to myself, this is my physician. I don't know. I, needless to say, I, you know, I, I, I tried other physicians later. Um, but uh, no, I think that, that's awesome. I love it. All right, then. Well, that was, uh, in, you know, again, an awesome experience. We love getting this opportunity. We got to it last year. It was fun. Um, shout out to my man, Brian Kibler, for bringing up a game called Dope or Not Dope that we played last year on, on the podcast. Just remember, hot, hot tubs are a little gross. Um, and so, um, we, again, we appreciate our panelists for being on here. Uh, again, Michaela, Tavi, and Owen, and then everybody else, too. We had Lexi, Jessica came up, Lynn, who else? Anybody else? I missed somebody. Megan. Yep. So, appreciate all of you guys for coming up and, and uh, volunteering to be up here, too. It's great to get your perspective on things. So, um, yeah, we talked about some things that maybe, you know, are, are downers a little bit, but I think, especially after talking with, you know, this group and, and seeing, you know, the bright minds in this room, I think the PT still there's still a, a lot of great things ahead. So, you know, we want to definitely end on a, on a positive note there. I think that we still are going to help a lot of people. So um, again, as always, we appreciate you for tuning in um, and then we'll catch you all again next Monday. And one last thing, if you liked the episode, please head on over to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, and leave us a five-star review. That way we can reach more people. And if you have any questions, a topic that you want us to cover, or maybe a person that you think we should interview, hit us up on Instagram at BetterFasterPodcast. You can also keep up with updates on our physical therapy and strength and conditioning businesses by giving us follows at VertexPT and at VertexStrength. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Have a great week, and we'll be back next Monday. This episode is brought to you by Vertex PT Specialist. One patient per doctor physical therapy per hour. Guaranteed. The best physical therapy ever. Check us out at vertexpt.com or on the gram at vertexpt.